chapters five and six of the pawn's count by e phillips oppenheim this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by tom weiss chapter five as far as sandy graham was concerned his unconsciousness might have lasted an hour or a day as a matter of fact it was scarcely a minute after the disappearance of fisher and his confederates when he was conscious of a rush of cold air in the place and beheld the vision of a tiny flash of light at the lower end of the gloomy building immediately afterwards he heard the soft closing of a door and beheld a tall shadowy figure slowly approaching he lay quite still and looked at it and his heart began to beat with hope one of the lights had been left burning and there was something in the bearing and attitude of the man who finally came to a standstill by his side which was entirely reassuring lutchester he faltered my god how did you get here offices of a young lady lutchester observed producing a knife from his pocket allow me he cut the cords which still secured graham's limbs then he looked around him how did they bring you here he whispered i suppose there is a passage from the restaurant up through a trap-door there graham explained pointing lutchester stood over it and listened intently then he turned around lifted the glass of brandy from the table smelt it approvingly and tasted it excellent he pronounced the eighteen forty allow me he refilled the glass and handed it to sandy who gulped down the contents the effect was almost instantaneous in less than a minute he had staggered to his feet feel strong enough to walk about fifty yards lutchester inquired i'd walk to hell to get out of this place was the prompt reply lutchester took his arm and they passed down the dusty aisle between the worm-eaten and decaying benches and through the outside door which lutchester closed and locked behind them the rush of cold air was like new life to graham i can walk all right now he muttered my god we'll give these fellows hell for this they made their very difficult way across a plot of ground from which a row of dilapidated cottages had been raised to the ground the fog still hung around them and seemed to bring with it a curious silence although the dying traffic from one of the main thoroughfares reached them in muffled notes lutchester climbed to the top of a pile of rubbish and then turning around held out his hand up here he directed graham struggled up until he stood by his companion's side the latter stood quite still listening for a moment then he climbed a little higher and swung around holding out his hand once more i'm on top of the wall he said come on graham's knees were shaking but with lutchester's help he staggered up and reached his side on the pavement below a man in chauffeur's livery was standing holding out his hands and by the side of the curbstone a closed car was waiting somehow or other the two reached the pavement lutchester almost pushed his companion into the limousine and stepped in after him the chauffeur sprang to his seat and the car glided off graham just realized that there was a woman by his side whose face was vaguely familiar then the waves broke in upon his ears once more i was right then it seems pamela observed approvingly you were just the man for this little affair lutchester sighed unfortunately he confessed a messenger boy would have been as effective i stumbled over to the chapel rubber shoes you observe he remarked pointing downwards and soon discovered that blinds had been let down all round and that there were people inside 
there was just a faint chink in one, and I caught a glimpse of several men, your friend Oscar amongst them. Having, he went on, an immense regard for my personal safety, I was hesitating what means to adopt when the lights were lowered, and it seemed to me that the men were disappearing. "'Do go on,' Pamela murmured. "'This is most exciting.' "'In a sense it was disappointing,' Lutchester complained. I had pictured for myself a dramatic entrance, a quiet turning of the key, a soft approach, owing to my shoes, he reminded her, a cough, perhaps, or a breath, discovery, me with a revolver in my hand, pointed to the arch-villain. If you stir, you're a dead man. Natural collapse of the villain. With my left hand I slashed the bond which hold Graham, with my right I covered the miscreants. One of them, perhaps, might creep behind me, and I hesitate. If I move my revolver, the other two will get the drop on me. I think that is the correct expression. A wonderful moment, that, Miss Van Tail. But it didn't happen, she protested. Ah, I forgot that, he acknowledged. Still, I was prepared. I had the revolver all right. But, as you say, it didn't happen. I made my way to the chapel door, let myself in, found our friend lying in a half-comatose state, upon one of the blue plush Henry's sofas in the shadow of a horrible deal pulpit. I gathered that he had been left there to reflect upon his sins. There was a bottle of reasonably fine brandy within reach, which I tested, and with which I dosed our friend here. I then cut away his bonds, arm in arm we walked down the aisle, I locked up the place, threw the key away, kicked my shins half a dozen times crossing that disgusting little plot of land, climbed boldly to the top of the wall, and behold, Pamela smiled upon him in congratulatory fashion. "'On the whole,' she said, "'I am quite glad that I telephoned to you.' "'You showed a sound discretion,' he admitted. "'If he had not been lame,' she confessed, "'I should have sent to Captain Holderness.' "'That would have been a great mistake,' Lutchester assured her. "'Holderness is a good fellow, but devoid of imagination. He is great on constituted authority.' he would have probably marched up with a squad of heavy-footed policemen and found nothing. Yet I must confess, Pamela persisted, with a frankness unaccountable even to herself, that if I could have thought of anyone else I should never have telephoned to you. And why not? Because I should not have classified you as being of the adventurous type, she declared. Lutchester looked injured. After all, he protested, that is not my fault that is due to your singular lack of perception. However, I am able to return the compliment. I, for my part, should have thought that you were more interested in the fashions than in paying exceedingly rash visits to degenerate Orientals and Negroes. Perhaps some day, she remarked, we may understand one another better. He met her gaze with a certain seriousness. I hope that we may, he said. For some reason they were both silent for a moment. Her tone had changed a little when she spoke again. "'You are sure,' she asked, "'that you do not find my leaving the rest of this affair in your hands? There are reasons which I cannot tell you of just now, which make me anxious not to appear in it at all.' "'I accept the change as a privilege,' he assented. "'We are within a few yards of my rooms now. I promise you that I will look after Captain Graham and advise him as to the proper course for him to pursue.' The car came to a standstill. This, then, she said, holding out her hand, will be good-bye for the present. He held her fingers for a moment without reply. Quite suddenly she decided that she liked him. 
Then he lifted Graham, who was half asleep, half unconscious, to his feet, and assisted him from the car. "'Where shall I tell the man to go to?' he inquired. "'He knows,' she answered with sudden taciturnity. "'Wherever it may be, then,' he replied. "'Bon voyage.'" End of chapter 5 Chapter 6 It was about half an hour later when Sandy Graham opened his eyes and began to feel the life once more warm in his veins. He was seated in the most comfortable easy-chair of John Lutchester's bachelor sitting-room. By his side was a coffee equipage and a decanter of brandy. His head still throbbed and his bones ached, but his mind was beginning to grow clearer. Lutchester, who had been seated at the writing-table, swung round in his chair at the sound of his guest's movement. "'Feeling better, eh?' he asked. "'I am all right now,' was the somewhat shaky reply. "'Got a head like a turnip and a tongue like a lime-kiln. But I'm beginning to feel myself. How's your memory?' "'Hazy. Let me see. My God, I've been robbed, haven't I?' "'So I imagine,' Lutchester replied. "'You rather asked for it, didn't you?' Graham moved uneasily in his place. He had suddenly the feeling of being back at school, and in the presence of the headmaster. "'I suppose I did, in a way,' he admitted. "'But at Henry's, why, I've always looked upon the place as a club more than anything else.' "'I am afraid that I can't agree with you there,' Lutchester observed. "'I should consider Henry's a remarkably cosmopolitan restaurant, where a man in your position should exercise more than even ordinary restraint. I suppose I was wrong, Graham muttered, but I had been working for about ten hours on end, and then rushed up to London in the car to try and keep my appointment with Holderness. Stop anywhere on the way? We had a few drinks, Graham confessed. I was so done up. Perhaps I had more than I meant to. However, it's no use bothering about that now. I've been robbed, and that's all there is about it. Could we get on to Scotland Yard from here? "'We could, but I don't think we will,' Lutchester replied. Graham was puzzled. "'Why not?' he demanded. "'That formula was the most wonderful thing that has ever been put together, and the whole thing's so simple. I've been afraid every second that someone else might stumble upon it.' "'It is without doubt a great loss,' Lutchester admitted. "'All the same, I don't fancy that it's a Scotland Yard business exactly. Have you any idea who robbed you?' Graham paused to think. His eyes were still troubled and uncertain. "'It's coming back to me,' he muttered. "'I remember that beastly barn of a chapel. There were jewels, and that musician fellow, and the big American. He emptied my pockets. Why, of course, I remember how angry he was. My pocketbook was gone. They left me alone to write out the formula again, and then you came. How on earth did you tumble on to my being there, Lutchester?' It was Miss Pamela Van Tail whom you must thank, Lutchester told him, not me. It seems she knew more about Henry's than any of us. She'd come up against some of the crew in Berlin, and she guessed they were holding you for that formula. She got the key out of one of those men and then telephoned to me for my help. And I never even thanked her, Graham murmured weakly. There was a moment's silence. The recovering man's consciousness of his position and of events was evidently as yet incomplete. He sat up suddenly in his chair, gripping the sides of it. His eyes were large with reminiscent trouble. "'My pocket-book had gone when they searched me,' he muttered. "'Are you sure that you had it with you when you came into Henry's?' Lutchester inquired. 
absolutely certain. Do you think you can remember now what happened when you went upstairs? I reached the lavatory all right. You were with me then, weren't you? Graham said reflectively. I hung up my coat while I washed, but there was no one else in the room. Then you went downstairs and I brushed my hair and just stopped to light a cigarette. You know that on the right-hand side of the landing there is a room where the musicians change. Joseph, that black devil, was standing in the doorway. He grinned as I came into sight. "'Lady wants to speak to you for a moment, Captain Graham,' he said. "'Well, you know how harmless the fellow looks. Just a good-natured, smiling nigger. I never dreamed of anything wrong. As a matter of fact, I thought that Peggy Vincent, that's a young lady I often go to Henry's with, wanted to have a word with me before I joined our party. I stepped inside the room, and that's just about all I can remember. It must have been jolly quick. His arm shot round my neck, the door was closed, and that other brute, Hassan, I think it was, held something over my face. But that room was searched, Lutchester reminded him. Well, I came to just a little, Graham explained. I found that I was in a sort of covered place, behind the lockers these fellows have for their clothes. It opens with a spring lock, and you'd never notice it, searching the room. Who was the first person you saw when you recovered consciousness? Graham's forehead was wrinkled in the effort to remember. I can't quite get hold of it, he confessed, but I have a sort of fancy I can't altogether get rid of that there was a woman about. Lutchester looked at the end of the cigarette he had just lit. A woman, he repeated. That's queer. I can't remember anything definitely until I woke up in that chapel, Graham continued, but when they searched me and found that the pocketbook had gone, Fisher, the big American, muttered some woman's name. I was queer just at the moment, but it sounded very much to me like Miss Van Tail's. He rang her up on the telephone. Did they suspect Miss Van Tail, then, of having taken your pocketbook? Graham shook his head. I lost the drift of things just then, he admitted. She couldn't have done in any case. Forgive me, but aren't we wasting time, Mr. Lutchester? We must do something. Couldn't you ring up Scotland Yard now? I certainly could, Lutchester assented. But as I've told you just now, I don't think that I will. Graham stared at him. But why not? For certain very definite reasons with which you needn't trouble yourself just now, Lutchester pronounced. The formula has gone without a doubt, but it certainly isn't in the hands of any of the people at Henry's. But there's that American fellow, Fisher, Graham exclaimed. He was the ringleader. Just so. Lutchester murmured thoughtfully. However, he hasn't got the formula. But he planned the attack upon me, Graham protested. He is an enemy, a German, sheltering himself under his American naturalization. Surely we're going for him. He's a wrong un, of course, Lutchester admitted, but he hasn't got the formula. But we must do something, Graham continued, his anger rising as his strength returned. Why, the place is a perfect den of conspirators. I expect Ferrani himself is in it, and there's that other maitre d'hôtel, Jules, and those black beasts, Joseph and Hassan, besides Fisher. My God, they shall pay for this. Lutchester nodded. I dare say they will, he admitted, but not quite in the way you are thinking of. Graham half rose to his feet. Look here, he said. I'm sane enough now, aren't I, and in my proper senses? You are not going to suggest that we don't turn the police on to that damned place? I certainly am, was the brief reply. Graham was aghast. 
"'What do you mean to do, then?' "'Leave them alone for the present. Not one of them has the formula. Not one of them even knows where it is. But the attack upon me—' "'You asked for all you got,' Lutchester told him curtly, and perhaps a little more. The first tinge of color came back to Graham's cheeks. His eyes flashed with anger. "'Perhaps I did,' he admitted. "'But that doesn't alter the fact that I'm going to have some of my own back out of them.' Lutchester crossed his legs and turned round in his chair. For the first time he directly faced his visitor. His tone, though not unkindly, was imperative. "'Young fellow,' he said, "'you'll have to listen to me about this.' A smoldering sense of revolt suddenly found words. "'Listen to you? What the devil had you got to do with it?' Graham demanded. "'I hate to remind anyone of an obligation,' Lutchester answered. "'But I am under the impression that, together with Miss Van Tail, of course, I rescued you from an exceedingly inconvenient situation.' "'I haven't had time to tell you how grateful I am,' Graham said awkwardly. "'You were a brick, of course, and how you and Miss Van Tail tumbled on to the whole thing I can't imagine.' but I don't understand what you're getting at now. You can't suggest that I am to leave these fellows alone and not give information to the police. The character of the place, Lutchester assured him, is already perfectly well known to the heads of the police. The matter will be dealt with, but not in the way you suggest. And so far as regards Fisher, I do not wish him interfered with for the present. You do not wish him interfered with, Graham repeated. "'Where the devil do you come in at all? "'You can leave me out of the matter for the present. "'You want the formula back, don't you?' "'My God, yes!' Graham muttered fervently. "'It's all very well to give one a pencil and a piece of paper "'and say, write it out. "'But there are calculations and proportions.' "'Precisely,' Lutchester interrupted. "'You want it back again. "'Why not let Fisher do the business? "'He has an idea where it's gone.' The thing to do seems to me to follow him. To follow Fisher? Graham repeated vaguely. Precisely. If he thinks the formula is in England, Fisher will stay in England. If he thinks that it has gone abroad, he will go abroad. If we leave him free, we can watch which he does. Graham swallowed half a wine glass full of brandy by his side. Then he leaned forward. Look here, he said. You'll forgive me if I repeat myself and ask you once more, what the hell has all this got to do with you? Just this much, Lutchester replied, that I insist upon your taking the course of action in this matter, which I propose. You mean, Graham protested, working himself gradually into a state of wrath, that I am to go back to my rooms as though nothing had happened, see Holderness and the others tomorrow, and not have a word of explanation to offer? that I am to leave those blackguards at Henry's to try their dirty games on someone else, and let Fisher, the man who was fully inclined to become my murderer, go away unharmed? I think not, Mr. Lutchester. I am much obliged for your help, but you are talking piffle. What do you propose to do, then? I am going round to Scotland Yard myself. Lutchester rose to his feet. Stay where you are for a minute, please, he begged. He passed into a smaller room, and Graham could hear faintly the sound of the telephone. In a minute or two his host returned. "'Go in there and speak, Graham,' he invited. "'You will find someone you know at the other end.' Graham did as he was bidden, and Lutchester closed the door after him. For a few minutes the latter sat in his chair, smoking quietly, 
his eyes fixed upon the fire. Then his unwilling guest reappeared. He came into the room a little unsteadily and looked with new eyes at the man who seemed so unaccountably to have taken over the control of his affairs. "'I don't understand all this,' he muttered. "'Who the devil are you, anyway, Lutchester?' "'A very ordinary person, I can assure you,' was the quiet reply. "'However, you are satisfied, I suppose, that my advice is good?' "'Yes, I am satisfied,' Graham answered nervously. "'You know that—that that I'm under arrest?' Lutchester nodded. "'Well, you're not asking for my sympathy, I suppose,' he observed dryly. The young man flushed. "'I know that I behave like a fool,' he admitted. "'All the same, I've been working night and day for weeks on this problem. I haven't even been up to town once. I must say I think they seem inclined to be a little hard on me.' "'No one is going to be in the least hard on you,' Lutchester assured him. "'You have committed a frightful indiscretion, and all that is asked of you now is to keep your mouth shut. If you do that, I think the way will be found for you out of your troubles.' "'But what is to become of me?' Graham demanded. "'I understand that you are to be taken to Northumberland to-morrow,' Lutchester informed him. "'There you will be allowed every facility for fresh experiments. In the meantime, I have promised to give you a shakedown here for the night. You will find a soldier on guard outside your door, but you can treat him as your servant.' "'You are very kind,' Graham faltered, a little vaguely. "'If only I could understand.' Lutchester rose to his feet. His manner became more serious. His tone had in it a note of finality. "'Captain Graham,' he interrupted, "'don't try to understand. I will tell you as much as this, if it helps you. Henry's restaurant will be placed under the closest surveillance, but we wish nothing disturbed there at the moment, until we have discovered the future plans of Mr. Oscar Fisher.' "'The big German-American,' Graham muttered. He's the man you ought to get hold of. Some day I hope that we may, Lutchester declared. For the moment, however, we want him undisturbed. You would scarcely believe it, perhaps, if I told you that the theft of your formulas is only a slight thing compared to the bigger business that man has on hand. There is something else at the back of his head which is worth heaven and earth to us to understand. We want the formula, and we shall have it but more than anything else in the world we want to know why Fischer has pledged his word in Berlin to bring this war to an end within three months. We have to find that out, and we are going to find it out, from him. You see, I have treated you with confidence, Captain Graham. Now let me show you to your room. Graham put up his hand to his forehead. I feel as though this were some sort of nightmare, he muttered. I've known you for several months, Mr. Lutchester and I have never heard you say a serious word. You dance at Henry's. You made a good soldier, they say, but you've had enough of it in twelve months. You play auction bridge in the afternoons, and you talk about the war as though it were simply an irritating circumstances. And tonight, Lutchester threw open the door of his own bedroom and pointed to the bathroom beyond. My man has put out everything he thinks you may want, he said. Try and get a good night's sleep. And Graham? Yes? Don't bother your head about me, and don't ask any more questions. End of chapter six. Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks dot com.